The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Well, it is time to uh, open God's Word, so turn in your copy of God's Word now. It's in your New Testament, one of the letters that uh, you'll find near the back. Um, This is, as we've been making our way verse by verse through this powerful book, this is our third message in this series called Durable. And uh, like you, I need a durable faith. I need, uh, through the midst of all that 2020 has brought and in the midst of everything going on in our personal lives and in the world, we've needed this endurance, this steadfastness that comes uh, from following Jesus Christ. And that's what's uh, uh, glorious about the book of Philippians. Amongst all of its themes, it is producing in us, as we who would read it and seek to apply it, it is producing in us an endurance, a durability to make it through life. And so let me ask you this as uh, you're turning there and as we are beginning. Have uh, you ever had things not go your way? Have you ever had anything turn out differently than you expected? You know, you thought maybe at this point in your life you would be somewhere different. Whether in career or family, or you expected that things just wouldn't be this hard. I think I'm not the only one who maybe have felt that way. Maybe it's in your career path and you're decades into uh, this work and you're wondering, is it, is it all worth it? Maybe you're in retirement and it's not all it's cracked up to be. Or maybe you're on the other end and you're just trying to figure out which career path should I take. Maybe it's in your, in your family and your marriage and you, you, your kids are grown and gone. And you're wondering what happened to the time or... Maybe you're on the other side of marriage and family and you're, you're looking for somebody just to begin this, uh, uh, this union with and you're looking for somebody that just loves Jesus and maybe is just you know, mildly attractive. But wherever you are, it's, maybe it's just not what you expected. And speaking of kids and family, how many of us there are living the picture-perfect life? Things going exactly, it's, it's everything it's cracked up to be. But though Instagram tells the story of a happy, smiling life, let's just be real about it. You know, we wish we had more time, more money, more sleep, and less worry, less stress, and less pain. Then everything would be awesome, right? Then we we could really get somewhere. Then we would make it to the end. Then we would have that joy that we are seeking in our life. But see, here's the thing, church. It's at the intersection of our dreams and our reality that we have a choice to make. See, it's at that intersection that we have a choice to make. Will I, will I align my aspirations, my dreams with the purposes and will of God? Or will I seek to just go my own way? It's at that intersection to joy along the path of durability. The other path leads to frustration along the path of disappointment. And if there's somebody who had learned this lesson and who had been at this intersection, this crossroads many times in his life, it is the Apostle Paul who wrote this book of Philippians. See, he had learned this lesson throughout his long life and ministry. He started on the path to personal success as a Pharisee. 
until God intervened and came to that intersection and radically transformed him and sent him on a lifelong mission to tell others about Jesus. And along the way, along this uh, path, along all the ups and downs of his life, this one lesson became crystal clear to him. That everything in life is a gospel opportunity. If you're taking notes, write this down. You don't want to miss this uh, this morning. That everything in your life is a gospel opportunity. And through Paul's own present circumstances, he'll teach both the Philippians and us this morning. He will teach us why and how he can say this. Why and how this is true. And so you're already turned there, but I want to just read for us our verses today in Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Listen now as I read them for us. They say this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is God's word for God's people. Isn't this a great passage of Scripture? See, after years of ministry, after several tours throughout the Mediterranean of making disciples and equipping leaders and appointing elders and planting churches and experiencing chained 24-7 to uh, someone from Caesar's own illustrious Praetorian Guard, or what is called the Imperial Guard here. And what was his crime? Was he a violent murderer? Was he a wicked thief? Was he depraved in his actions? No, his crime was for preaching the gospel. His crime was for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. His crime was for telling people that Jesus is Lord. That there is a God who is holy. And we are not. Our sin has separated us from God and created us a, a, a chasm between us and God and severed our relationship. So much so that our sin has caused us to face the wrath of God. But Christ came and lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we were supposed to live and that when we repent of our sin and our offense against God and we believe on Christ for salvation, then we are saved to walk in newness of life with new purposes, a new mind, new heart here on this earth and with the hope for eternity with Christ. See, church, this is the gospel. And it was for preaching that in city after city that Paul was imprisoned. And despite his horrible conditions, in spite of the prison, despite of all that, he says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, church in Philippi and church redemption here, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You should underline that in your Bible so you never miss that. So every time you come to Philippians, that just jumps out at you. See, prison for Paul has now become his platform for the gospel. 
He had one focus, one mission, one message, and now prison has become his platform for this message, for his ministry now. And so let me encourage you, as a pastor encouraged my wife and I years ago, that whatever situation you find yourself in this morning is your platform for the gospel. Yeah, wherever you are, your job, your relationships, your family, your classroom, wherever you find yourself, this is now God's appointed platform for you to proclaim the gospel. Even if you feel trapped, even if you feel chained as Paul did with no way out, this is your stage to shine the light of Jesus Christ to all whom would live. That everything in our life is a gospel opportunity. Well, it depends on what we are hitching our joy to. It depends upon where, what we are allowing to affect us. And so Paul teaches us some really great lessons in, in, this, in this gospel. The way forward, the way forward is to, here if you're taking notes, the first point is to hit your joy to the gospel. To hit your joy to the gospel and not to your situation. Not to your circumstances. And so as we look at verses 12 through 14, see, here's what we begin to get a glimpse of, is that God's purpose on this earth is His glory through the gospel. God has one work. He's building one kingdom. He has one mission and one message that He is advancing. God is single-minded in His purposes and His work here on this earth. And the glorious thing is that He invites us into it. He is at work building uh, the church. He is at work making disciples. And he invites us into that work both to experience it for ourselves. As we embrace the gospel, as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? He invites us to experience it and then to advance us. Calling us, he, he calls us to himself and then he sends us out with himself to call others to embrace the gospel. And see, redemption, this, is, this is a, isn't just a call for pastors this isn't just a call for guys like me in a stage like this, but it's a call for all of us. Do you love Christ today? Have you, been, have, have you been given new life in Jesus Christ? Then you have been commissioned to take the gospel, to use your life as someone who's received it and then as a steward of it and then is a messenger for this gospel that we love. And see, here's the thing. When you became saved, when you became a Christian, God began to use everything. And had even up in, before that, God is working everything in your life for that purpose, for the advancement of the gospel. You think your job is here so you can advance in your career or you can uh, do the, advance the mission of your company. But uh, let's be real here, church. As a believer, God has strategically placed you in your job or in your class, in this family, on that street, in that, uh, at, that, uh, at that address. For his gospel purposes. And he's working everything in your life to grow you in it. To give you gospel opportunities to talk about what he is doing. And so church, our, our joy is durable when it is hitched to the gospel. But your joy, church, goes in the ditch when it is hitched to your situation. It'll go in the ditch when it is hitched to your circumstances. See, go back to the text and see how he's saying this. Paul, he's making it. He's, he's advancing. He is, he is, his joy is largely unaffected to where he is flourishing even despite his situation. Why? Because his joy is hitched to the, to the gospel. Everything that has happened to him has served its grand purposes to advance the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why he can say, this is an opportunity it's not a setback for him. The whole imperial guard is hearing the gospel. 
people that he would never ever have come in contact with apart from his imprisonment now uh, because they are either being directly assigned and chained to him or because they are hearing them talk about it and his reputation uh, indirectly as they hear of his crime. Wait, he's a Christian? It's, it costs this much? He's that serious about who this Jesus is? Well, there must be something to it. I just put, like, as believers, it actually sounds kind of cool, like, to be chained to Paul and to have that, like, front row seat to this man's ministry. I mean, in many ways, like, sign me up to that. I want to learn and grow right from him. Maybe not in a prison and all that, but you get the picture. And now imagine as those guards are assigned shifts, maybe some uh, with great anticipation as they come to faith in Christ, others worrying about it. But what a, what a cool opportunity. If you think of the other criminals maybe that they were chained to, the violent ones and things like this was a great opportunity. And Paul seized it with great boldness so that now the gospel is advancing into corners that he would otherwise not have had opportunity to talk about. So you, you interact with people on a daily basis that I will never talk to, nor will the person next to you ever talk to. And God has strategically placed you in that job, in that, uh, in that role, on that street for his glory. And so this is, it's spreading. But here's the second thing that, that, we, that we see in verse 14. It's that the believers have become emboldened unafraid. They're sharing the gospel with confidence, right? Confidence in the Lord and without fear, they are speaking the word. Reminds us of the series that we just went through, right? Right prior to this, if you're new with us, we just had a six-week series called Unafraid. You can go back and listen to that online if you would like. But here it's, it, it's, they see that Paul's example, that it is so worth it. And now through his influence, his impact on him, this new army, as he's been imprisoned, you know, supposedly sidelined, they have now been mobilized and motivated to live courageously for the Lord. And church, that is a win in God's economy. That's a, that's a, that's a win. This is the gospel is advancing. His life has this type of influence. Does yours? Does your life have this type of influence where others are hearing the gospel, where others are being emboldened to talk about Christ? Is your joy this contagious because it is eternal and unchanging? It is something that is unaffected by the, by the, the, the events of this world. It is steadfast and immovable. It's largely unaffected ultimately because, uh, 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 because it's not attached to our ever-changing circumstances. And so, church, you know, come what may, if 2020 has shown anything, it has shown just how, uh, how steadfast and how uh, uh, unstoppable the gospel is and how durable our faith can be. Throw a worldwide pandemic at it. Does the gospel stop? Absolutely not. Like, just look at what God is doing in our church as he has been growing us, as even in the midst of pandemics and shutdowns. Like, we, church, we have an opportunity to plant another church and to invest in a, a church planter and his wife for the glory of God. All in the midst of a pandemic. Like, God is at work. Throw a never-ending election at things. Is that going to stop the, the, the gospel? No, more opportunity to talk about King Jesus. More opportunity to talk about King Jesus. Has there been some heart-wrenching grief in the last year? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we've had a joy that is, that is, is bearable up under the weighty hope of Jesus Christ, the one who will make all things new. Has there been some unjust treatment in your life and, and uh, amongst those that we love? Yeah. 
Thankfully, none of us have been imprisoned. Some of our brothers and sisters maybe have been arrested. There's others around the globe that that's just the norm for being a Christian. And we become resilient in our faith as we experience the same sufferings that even Jesus Christ did. Where it makes the gospel that much sweeter to us. Our faith that much more resilient. Even when others are deliberately seeking to harm us. See, but our joy is unaffected ultimately because it is hitched to the gospel. And we know that whatever is happening is serving to advance this good news, the solution that Pastor Cade preached about to all of uh, society's ills, to all the things that are happening. And so we can know that even in the midst of all this, there's gospel opportunity and, it's, and, and it is spread all under the sovereign control of Jesus Christ, which this also gives durability to our joy. See, here's the, and, and not our control. Not our, not, not comparison to uh, what others are doing, how others are getting ahead. So as you look at verse 15 here, there's like uh, these, these two types of preachers that had risen up now that Paul's in prison. And even in his own story here, this begins to teach us some things about our life. See, word had somehow, somehow reached Paul in prison. Whether the guards had told him or Epaphroditus who had delivered this letter or a letter and the money to him and then is taking this letter back to the church there at Philippi. Somehow word had reached back that two types, goodwill preachers and ill will preachers, had risen up because of his imprisonment. And these two preachers, they, they were very different. They had opposite uh, motives and uh, their, their motives for preaching were very apparent. And so just look with me at the verses here. you got these goodwill preachers here who are ultimately seeking the good of others. Paul's in prison, and so uh, these, the brothers that he's talking about in verse 15, they've risen up because they want to impact other people. They have a, they're doing it out of love, a love that is sacrificial, a love that is unconditional, a love that is moved uh, by the glory of God and the good of other people. They do so, and as verse 16 says, uh, out, of, out of fellowship or companionship with Paul, knowing that he's been imprisoned for the defense of the gospel. And so in order to take up his work, to join, to say, hey, Paul, it's not stopping. We are continuing the work. They are with good motives for the glory of God and uh, companionship with Paul, continuing the work of the ministry. But there's a second type in there, isn't there? As he begins to go, the, the former ones, the ones that we call ill will preachers, those that verse 15 says are preaching out of envy and rivalry, a jealousy. They, they, they wanted what Paul had. They thought it was like a competition to see who could like get more notoriety, who could have more recognition, a bigger stage here. They, and they, they wanted what Paul had. And it's like, really, guys? Like, you really want what Paul had? Look at what, what, Paul's ministry, and where did that get him? Now, do you, you want to end up in prison? Okay, well. But they're preaching in this way. They're preaching and seeking their own good. But it says in verse 17 that they're preaching out of selfish ambition. With insincerity, they're disingenuous. Why? Ultimately, because they're seeking to harm Paul in his imprisonment. Say, hi, you got, you got caught, you're in jail, but we're not out. Paul's affliction for their own advancement, their own good. It's like, how twisted is that? And you know, like, here's just a side note. Be, be wary of preachers like this. Be wary of those who would seek a bigger platform, a bigger stage, uh, you know, the, the, to, to have their name known and, and, and run towards the ones that are just simply proclaiming Christ. Not seeking a, any sort of gain for themselves. But you know what? 
Whatever one's motive is for preaching Jesus, whatever uh, the motives are of the specific preachers that Paul is referring to here, as long as their message was true, Paul's joy was unaffected. It's pretty profound here. His joy was hitched to the sovereign God who knows the thoughts and intentions of all men's hearts. He's the one who uses both uh, the good motivations and the bad motivations and bad even actions for his gospel purposes. God throughout human history used the donkey as his messenger. He used wicked kings as his messengers. And in the life of Christ, time and again, demon-possessed people are proclaiming the gospel, are letting out who this man really is, that this is Lord. And God used it all strategically and purposely for his glory. And so let's just be clear about one thing. These ill-will preachers are not false preachers, okay? Not false preachers, that's a different category altogether. When Paul in Galatians 1 has some very strong uh, words uh, uh, for those that would preach a different gospel, that would preach a different way to salvation, that would preach one by works, that we could work our way into heaven, that's a whole different uh, category to which Paul would say, let them be accursed. But in this case, these ill-will preachers were those that were seeking a platform for the gospel on the back of another's afflictions with bad motives. And to all this, Paul's like, well, if Jesus is proclaimed, it's a win. If Jesus is proclaimed, it's a win. See, God will sort out the motives. We don't always have to. Jesus, he taught his disciples the same lesson in, in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 38, that he will sort out the motives we don't always have to. And so when it comes to uh, whether it's uh, preaching here or just in our own life, when those uh, who are competing and out of envy and rivalry, it doesn't have to send us in the ditch because our joy is hitched to the sovereignty of God. But our joy goes in the, in the ditch, right, when it's hitched to our control. We can't steer this thing, only God can. Our joy goes in the ditch when it, is com- when it is a hitch to comparison. What other people are doing, how other people are succeeding, how they are getting ahead in our life. And so here's the, the thing, church, is we can worry less about what everybody else is doing or what everybody else is doing wrong, and we can focus more on the opportunities that God has given us and our own motives behind which we uh, do them. We can focus more on the motives of how or why they, they live the life that they do, but we do always have a choice in the attitude that we have. We have a choice in how we respond to the things that happen to us. And see, our choices, our attitude, our, our, our feelings in the midst of it begin with having a sound biblical understanding about God's character. Those undeniable traits that He is sovereign and He is good. Those undeniable traits about his character and then what we believe about his purposes, that he is doing all things for his glory, that he is working out all things for the advance of the gospel, for his mission to continue on this earth. And so when we are rock solid in in our convictions about who God is and why he acts and, and our joy is hitched to that, then come what may in the world, we can still follow Christ with a satisfaction and a joy that he is still in control and he is still working out his purposes and using me and these circumstances to those ends. And church, that just adds a whole other level to our lives, doesn't it? That's a whole nother level to our lives and how we go about our work and how we, uh, how we live our lives and how we treat one another and how we even walk through the holidays here. 
And so imagine these things. Imagine these principles here at work in our own lives. Imagine it in the workplace this December. You know, you know that you are in that job for God's glory. You know that he's brought you, he's given you this work for for his purposes. You know that you are there as a platform for the Great Commission. That God has called you to make disciples and to live for his glory and to to, uh, model uh, biblical character traits in that job. You know that you get that. But now it's coming to the end of the year and you have those goals, those benchmarks that you set a a, a year ago. And there's sales that need to be reached and those uh, benchmarks need to uh, be gotten to if you're going to get that bonus. Or if you're going to uh, end this year strong and head into the the new year and the new quarter and the new budget and the new uh, 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 goals in a strong way or whatever it may be in your job. And you've been working hard. You've been doing what uh, the previous verses, what we looked at last week. You've been approving what is excellent, doing what is superior, living a life of, with purity and blameless in both your motives and your actions. And you're heading into the end of the year strong. But out of end, matter sabotages your reputation. You've done 95% of the work on this job or with this client, and now this coworker comes in and finishes the job to gain the notoriety and the recognition for uh, the majority of the work that you have done. And so they get the promotion instead of you for the hard work. She gets the year-end award. She gets the bigger bonus. Would you be hurt in that scenario? Yeah. Could you say something to your boss about it? Sure. But should your joy be demolished in that situation? I hope not. I hope not. It doesn't have to be. Why? Because your joy is hitched to the gospel. Your joy is hitched to the sovereignty of God. Your joy is not hitched to what people call you. Your joy is not hitched to, uh, to how you are going to get ahead in your, your job, but your joy is hitched to what Jesus has done. Your joy is hitched to what God calls you as a son or a daughter. As a saint, as a set-apart one, as one of his beloved. And so all these circumstances have done is to open up more gospel opportunities for you. To gain more affection and more confidence in what God calls you. And now more opportunity for you to live a Christ-like, humble uh, life in your workplace. Or imagine it in your family this Christmas. Imagine these principles. Imagine these things. Imagine uh, you embracing the fact that everything in your life is a gospel opportunity, even this Christmas, in your family and in your marriage. You know that marriage is designed to be a picture of the gospel, right? Husbands are to love their wives and to understand them, to love them as so much, to lay down our lives just like Christ did for the church. And wives are to joyfully respond, to submit to her husband as we, the church, as God's people, humbly respond and joyfully submit to Christ as our Lord. We know that our families are disciple-making factories as we raise up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and we want them to grow. We know that about our families. We want that to be true. We want that to be true even at Christmas. But I'll just say this here. Christmas today is a playground for sinful motives. Now, before you stone me as the Scrooge, as somebody who hates Christmas, let me just be clear. I love Christmas, and I love the festivities. I love the things, and you want to avoid the disappointment and the arguing that often comes. I call it a playground because the festivities, the traditions, the gifts, uh, what it just wraps up in us is these expectations and intentions that we uh, don't always see. 
And so Christmas has a way of unwrapping this greed that exists in us, this greed for more, of unwrapping a discontent with what we already have, gifts that have been given to us already. It unwraps an envy uh, in us at another's decorations of how they uh, did their house or how they have decorated. It it unwraps in us this, uh, this rivalry to outdo one another with giving a more expensive gift a more thoughtful gift, a more noticeable gift. It unwraps in us this insincerity in what we give and a comparing to what we receive. It unwraps in us a selfish ambition of the parties that we choose to attend, the people that we choose to give cards to and send mail to. Do you see what I'm saying? And if our joy this season is hitched to all the festivities and traditions and gifts, it'll be in the ditch by December 26th, if not before. And December 26th is my birthday, and so you definitely need to have some joy on that day. Not for my sake, for the Lord's sake. But if your joy is hitched to the gospel and the sovereignty of God, then it'll endure not only in this month, but it'll flourish well beyond this season. See, in this season, we need to let our joy be hitched to the the proclamation that Christ is born over and over again this month. And if that happens, then we've won. Then we have a reason to celebrate. Then we have a great reason to celebrate uh, the incarnation of Christ, his coming, uh, his humbling of himself, leaving the throne of heaven to be born into a humble manger. And if that is proclaimed over and over, whether it's said in pretense or truth, whether, whether it is proclaimed in unbelief or belief, if it's preached selfishly or unselfishly, ultimately at the end of the day, it does not matter so long as it is said that Christ was born. And Christ has lived, he has died, and he has rose again, and he rules and reigns now over this earth, and he will come back, sure as anything, one day to receive his own. And if that message is proclaimed this month, and this we redeem, an invitation into the, to remember this, an invitation to remember, an invitation into the presence of God who was born a man, and we've been invited both into Christmas and also the cross. Christ was born of a baby to live a full human life perfectly in our place, but he came for a purpose. He came to die. He knew it. He came to die the death that our sin required. And so while we remember the manger into which we was born, our thoughts also go to the cross upon which he died in the tomb in which he was buried into heaven where he now rules and reigns. And so at Christmas, we uh, proclaim his birth, but we also proclaim the cross. And it's in all of these things that we even remember and through God's wisdom in the ordinance of communion. And we remember that Christ came and that he was born uh, for a purpose. He was born in which to die. And it is this message that we proclaim. It's a message in which we rejoice in. It's a message that uh, we proclaim every time we take this, uh, these elements of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to respond in this way. As we've heard the word, as I'm, I'm sure you've been challenged. I'm sure that even, even now as you are listening to this and you're pondering and thinking through the implications of, of everything in my life as a gospel opportunity. And some of you may be like, well, yeah, Pastor Blair, you clearly don't know my life. If you knew what I was going through, if you knew the hardship, if you knew the things, if you knew my coworkers or my work uh, situation, yeah, I don't know if there's opportunity for the gospel there. 
I just pray that even now as we're preparing to take communion, as you, uh, the Spirit is doing His work in your heart, that you would come to see how uh, even the worst of circumstances can be used for the glory of God. Isn't that what the cross was all about? A horrible death, a perfectly innocent man used to the glory of God, turned on its heels so that God's children would be saved. And it's in this we rejoice, and it's in this we proclaim. And so what I want to do now is I just want to pray for us. I'm going to invite our worship team up, um, and we're going, to, uh, we're going to take communion and then sing a song here in a minute. So let's uh, just bow your heads and let's pray together. God in heaven, we, uh, we just stop now to, uh, to acknowledge these things. We stop now to, uh, to remember, to humbly, uh, to, to, to humbly put ourselves at your feet and say, God, use, use this situation. And so even now, God, as you nourish our soul through the word, would you nourish us as we think people said.